The Importance of Quality Sleep, a Kinship Carers Victoria podcast. This podcast is part of a series on kinship carer self-care and well-being. It was recorded and produced on Jara Country, the land of the Jaja Wurrung people, and we extend our ongoing respect to all Kulin Nation peoples, the traditional custodians of these lands, and pay respect to the elders both past and present, and to the deep knowledge of the land that is embedded within the Indigenous communities. I guess for all of us, we've got to get a certain amount of sleep or our health will deteriorate and our mental faculties will suffer. did all the things I was supposed to do, but I just don't understand how I did it because I probably was dangerously sleep deprived. Along with eating well and exercising, sleep is one of the most important factors influencing our health, and it can both affect and reflect our state of well-being. A person with good sleep patterns is more likely to experience better psychological and emotional health, which can also help them sleep well. A person who sleeps poorly is at increased risk of reduced well-being, which can mean a lowered ability to deal with anxiety and stress, which can, in turn, interfere with sleep. This podcast is focused on how carers can try to get more quality sleep while juggling the needs of the children in their care. We spoke with two Victorian carers, their names are not published for privacy reasons, who shared details of their personal carer circumstances and spoke to us about the amount of sleep they were getting and their sleep patterns in general, and whether they thought this was adequate. Our first carer has been looking after his two granddaughters for several years, following unfortunate family circumstances which saw the children being removed from their mother's care. He and his wife were due to retire but are now actively involved in school committees and enjoy regular camping trips with their grandkids, now aged 9 and 12. As the years go by, I seem to need less sleep rather than more. My wife's the other way around. Uh, she uh, she tends to need a bit more sleep. Between us, we both get enough enough sleep, and I'd probably average about five to six hours sleep a night, sometimes a bit more. Actually, fairly often, uh, after about two or three hours of sleep, I'll wake up. Sometimes I'll, I'll go to the toilet and go back to bed again, but uh, I usually go back to sleep uh, reasonably quickly. I can get by on uh, sometimes less sleep than that, uh, but I'd have probably what's called a sleep debt and I'd need to catch up. Uh, if I only got two or three hours sleep, for instance, uh, the next night or two I might sleep a little bit longer. But I think our bodies tend to manage themselves reasonably well and tell us uh, when we need more sleep uh, than what we've been getting. Our second carer has two grandsons in her care from the time they were very little, just when she was starting a new career in professional writing. The boys are now four and eight years old, and although they need extra trauma support, she is now able to engage in research and other creative work. I probably average about four hours sleep a night, but it's not good sleep and I'm always tired. When the older boy came along, his sleep was very broken and he would only sleep for two hours. Every two hours, he would wake up, want to drink, go to the toilet, need some cuddles and put back to sleep. And that went on for several years. So I would have to get him back into bed. So my sleep was broken every two hours anyway. And then when the little one came along, he only slept for 20 minutes. And it would take uh, probably up to an hour to get him settled again. And then he'd only sleep for 20 minutes. So I was juggling the one that woke up every two hours and the one that was waking up every 20 minutes. I was so sleep deprived, I don't know how I was functioning. 
and it was only when they started to sleep, which took years, it doesn't, it's not like it's fixed in six months. It took years to get that settled. And the big problem is, is to trying to get these kids into any sort of sleep clinic and get the department to actually do their role as guardian of the children and pay for that to happen is fraught with problems. So I've been doing this on my own. So we have very, very set sleep routines. And it probably took till he was almost three, two and a half before I could get him to sleep a full night. And the, and the night he slept, the first time he slept the full night, I kept getting up. I was terrified. I thought he must have died because he was not making any noise. He didn't get out of bed. He wasn't calling out. Be, What's wrong? And I'd go in and I'd just watch him to see if he was actually breathing. It's funny in hindsight, but it was terrifying the first night he slept. Yeah, so it took a long time to then allow myself to sleep deep enough. And I, I still don't because I'm, I'm always on alert, which isn't conducive to me sleeping deeply and well. Dr. Damon Ashworth is a registered clinical psychologist with Melbourne's Centre for Clinical Psychology. His focus is on helping clients gain a greater understanding of their sleep difficulties and teaching them strategies to improve their sleep. Dr. Damon has just published a book on this topic called Deliberately Better Sleep. We spoke with him about the three major areas influencing sleep and the sorts of questions he asks his patients, including whether their sleep pressure or the body's need for sleep in response to time spent being awake is adequate. I would say there's probably three main questions I'll, I'll ask people. The first one is around, is their sleep pressure high enough when they go to bed? For it to be high, it means we want to be out of bed for a long enough period of time. So maybe 15 to 16 hours can be generally good enough. It's also good to do a little bit of exercise during the day to increase that pressure a little bit, uh, to not have too much caffeine and to not nap for too long. In terms of the body clock, that's the next question. So are people going to the bed at the right time for them? So for some people, they're morning people and they might sleep best between, say, 9 p.m. and 5 a.m. And for other people, they're night owls and they might sleep best between 1 and 9 a.m. And so it's really figuring out what's that ideal time for them and trying to go to bed at those times. And then the last one is around, on a scale from 0 to 10, how stressed out do I feel? And if someone's stress is up at a 7 or an 8, then it's going to be pretty hard to switch off and get to sleep. So it's what can I do to lower that down so that then I'm giving myself that best chance of being able to switch off once I'm in bed. And so if someone's arousal levels are low, their sleep pressure is high and it's the right time for their body clock, they're probably going to sleep the best. So I do think a routine's good, but it's a nice way to signal to our brain and our body that it is time for sleep. So I think if we're really busy working right up until bedtime and then we try to go to bed, it's going to be a lot harder to fall off to sleep pretty quickly. So if we can have that last hour as a bit of time to you know, switch off from the day, but also to wind down a little bit before bed. And then once you notice that you're starting to feel sleepy to get into bed, then it's probably going to be a lot easier to fall asleep and to sleep well. In the news a lot these days, we hear about how it's, you know, it's really bad if we don't get enough sleep. But what's interesting is some of the studies that track people for five or six years, they find that people that spend too much time in bed each night, it can also be a negative as well. So if someone's sleeping under five hours on average, and if someone's sleeping over nine or 10 hours per average, the risk of harm to health is actually fairly similar. So what we're aiming for is more of that sweet spot, that, that point in the middle that feels good for you and helps you to function in the way that you'd like to during the day. Poor sleep can produce constant yawning, feelings of fatigue, irritability, and an inability to concentrate. 
There is a great deal of research and evidence on how sleep deprivation can be detrimental to our overall physical health, including our brain health, our body's immune system, and even our eating habits. So we know that people aren't sleeping as much or as well as they'd like to. They do tend to get sick a bit more often. So we tend to eat more fatty or junky food as well. We tend to crave more sweet food. Maybe in those times, the brain switches more into a short-term mode rather than long-term. So it's not thinking about what's going to be best for me over the next few weeks. It's thinking, I don't feel great right now. What's going to help me feel better now? So if someone is sleeping only three hours a night, then yeah, we'll have negative impacts over time on someone's health. But if someone's sleeping between, say, you know, five and a half and eight and a half hours, there's not going to be too much of a difference as well. So I don't want someone to stress about the impact of one or two nights of three or four hours. But if it's consistently happening but you're not sleeping as much, I would recommend trying to go to your doctor, getting a referral to a sleep physician, seeing someone who can do CBTI or cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, and trying to see if you can address that. So for some people, uh, they're finding it hard to get as much sleep as they want at nighttime. Having a little power nap during the day could be a really good idea. It just helps them keep going for the rest of the day and it doesn't impact their sleep too much at night. So if you do want a nap during the day, a 15 to 20 minute nap, I think can be more helpful than harmful. Having said that, what we don't want to do is encourage people to have really long naps. So if someone feels that they're going to bed for you know, a few hours during the day, that's probably going to lead them to them feeling a bit sluggish afterwards and also find it a little bit harder to get to bed when they want to that night. The first thing I do would be looking at how much time is someone spending in bed. So I'd really look at that timing first and making sure that we're in bed for the amount of time we need to sleep. And then the next thing would be more around that chronic stress level and just getting a sense of, okay, if I'm in bed for the amount of time but I'm still waking up a lot, what's waking me up? You know, is it that I need to go to the bathroom a lot? If so, it might be worth looking at how much liquid I'm having right before bed. But if it's in terms of how many things are on my mind, what if I can write down some of those concerns or plans a few hours before bed? Hopefully that will then wake me up a bit less during the night. The kinship carer role can necessitate being on call constantly to respond to the needs of the young people in their care hardly a foundation for getting good, regular amounts of unbroken sleep. Our carers share their experiences. Part of the caring role is a full-time job of paperwork uh, that nobody seems to talk about. Once the kids are in bed, I tend to do all of that paperwork that comes with the job. And so I don't get to bed till much later. And then, you know, sometimes I try to do some winding down things before I go to bed so I can just sleep and not go to get into bed and start thinking so to have also a child that wakes up every two hours and has to be settled and and put back to bed and all that sort of stuff meant that my sleep was always broken look they generally sleep fairly well it hasn't always been the case the girls do sleep well they share a bedroom together and they get a bit distressed if they're not together but just lately uh the the younger girl uh, who was nine has had a bit of trouble getting to sleep and she's a bit restless and she'll come out and then just say oh, I can't go to sleep so uh, what my wife uh, did was discuss this with the doctor and uh, and she's been put on a, a low dose of melatonin tablets so she has one tablet before bed uh, particularly on, uh, uh, on nights when she's got school the next day we're not too fast on the weekend but uh, but a low dose of melatonin does seem to help her get to sleep since we've been doing that which is i think about two months now uh she is settling better and uh, going to going to sleep quicker 
we have really strict routines, strict bedtimes, and we have to follow that routine really closely. And the older boy gets very distressed if I deviate from the routine. If it's bath night and then brushing teeth and getting in the pyjamas and then we go into the little one's room and we read several stories and then have some songs and some massage and then the older boy is allowed to turn the light off for his little brother and his little brother's generally asleep by then and, and we put music on. That little one likes to listen to cellos and he listens to Packerbell's Canon every single night. And then we go into the bigger lad's room and the routine is he hops into bed, he has to have a teddy, he has to have a blanket wrapped around his head like a nest and he has to have a tent on and I have to read a story and when I read one chapter of the story I put it put it down and then turn his music on and he's got the exact same music he's been listening to for four years and I I've attempted to change him to other music but he, he won't have it but if we do all the routine things then he will generally settle down and go to sleep. And we talk about the day in third person and talk about what he did that day, but talk about it as if it's another child and say, and how did that child handle that thing? So we unpack his day before he goes to sleep. And since we've been doing that, we've not had nightmares. So you can't do anything with these children that that's going to be fixed in six weeks, you know, or six sessions with a, with a shrink. It's not going to happen that fast. It's a long-term journey and you really have to put in the, the hours and the effort. Yeah, sometimes if there's something particular on my mind that I might be worrying about or trying to sort out in my in my head, I can have trouble going to sleep uh, just because the brain's being a bit too active. And I have developed a technique to switch that off. Some people count sheep. Um, I do it the other way. I, I actually count backwards from 100. And when you're counting backwards, you have to concentrate a lot more than when you're counting forwards, like 100, 99, 98, and so on just slowly and and I really get past uh, or below about 80 uh, usually between counting backwards from 100 to, to 80 I've, I've already gone to sleep quite amazing KCV acknowledges that getting regular quality sleep is not always easy and sometimes near impossible for some carers. Yet understanding the importance of sleep and learning more about how to wind down and prepare for good rest is valuable for everyone who needs to look after their own well-being in order to keep looking after and growing the children in their care. Look out for more wellbeing podcasts produced by KCV made possible by generous support from the Department of Families, Fairness and Housing and the Carer Cafe.